Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead, and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and open doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat, how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to today's episode of How Women Inspire. We are diving deep into the heart of cultural transformation, particularly within the realms of female leadership and collaboration. Our guiding light through this journey at How Women Lead and with this podcast is our credo. This is both a set of principles, but it's really a countercultural framework. There are things in the culture that have not been good for us. And this is our effort to change some of those cultural narratives and behaviors. Let me explain this to you. Let's start with questions for you. How many times have you found yourself on the receiving end of mean girl behavior? Have you ever gone to an event and before you go, you're kind of stealing yourself because you don't know what it's going to be like when you get there, how people are going to treat you. These are all the kinds of things that we all experience and, and we got so used to it. We don't even remember it. That sense of like, I have an If you really close your eyes, take a deep breath and think, who have I felt like really has my back? And sometimes it's not women. And if it is, they're the enlightened ones, I think, sometimes. So culturally, there's good background and research you can find about this that shows why this is the case. But we need to undo it. It's time to move on from that. Who makes the most introductions for you if you need business introductions? Think about who's been the most helpful in being a real, you know, introducing you or even being what we call a sponsor, like somebody helping you with your career. Not enough women say women did it for me. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Here's another question. Have you ever said or felt like, you know what, I'm behind the scenes person. I make everybody else look great, but I'm kind of the behind the scenes person. I do the work. I elevate other people. These are all cultural agreements that we have 
been living in and we should not. So it's time for a seismic shift, a culture that's not just going to benefit you and me, but also our daughters. We have to change it. And it starts with us right here and right now. So we created something called a credo. This is a manifesto. It's a call to action. And it's crafted to really spearhead a cultural change we want to see. And it's the core of everything we do in our work. It's your membership fee is committing to the credo. And that's it. Together, we're dismantling these old narratives. And we really want you to take this credo and think about, are there other organizations that could use this, create their own? But how can you in your daily life and in the other people you interact with be part of spreading the word of a new culture that's better for us? It's just four things, four commitments. One, reinforce her voice when she speaks up and isn't heard. There's very clear documentation. A friend of mine's on the PR Council of America's board, and they've documented the lack of women being quoted and visible as it has to do with anything that relates to business or finance or investing. We are not getting our voice out there. And when we are, people are really eager to tear us down. Right now, today, there's all this silliness in the news about Taylor Swift. That behavior of tearing down women is unique to women, really. So our second credo is to be a fierce advocate for her and for each other. Imagine if you knew that all the other women around you were going to just like back you up and support you and you can make mistakes and they're still going to support you. Imagine what that would feel like. So fiercely advocating for each other. Three, say yes to helping each other and making introductions. I'm talking about introductions that really matter, connections that are going to change the outcome for you and your professional opportunities. I remember that being sort of slapped, getting slapped on the hand where people made me feel like I shouldn't be making introductions and that's bad for us. And then four, can you be unabashedly visible? Really take up space? It's not what the culture told you about the way you should be in the world. What would that look like? And there's a great Marian Williamson poem that says, when you let your light shine, you are unwittingly giving other people permission to do the same. I need you to be visible, unabashedly visible, so that my daughter is getting cues about how to show up in the world from you. And when you shrink, it's not good for you, but it's not good for all the women around you seeing you. So that's what we're talking about today. To every woman listening, this is your invitation to join us in rewriting the script. It's not just about challenging the status quo. It's about creating a legacy of power support and visibility, cultural change, so that it's easier and better for all of us, especially the women coming behind us, for ourselves, for each other, for all the women to come. Welcome to How Women Inspire. Hope you're doing the good Girl Scouts pledge to the credo, these four credo elements. Thanks for joining us and listening in. This is a really special one for me. It's really about how we can all be better with and for each other. Because our culture can be absolutely brutal for women. It divides us and it prevents us from progressing. It's time we change the culture of how we are together so that all women can feel like they have a path forward and do it with less battle scars. I want to share a quick story. After 23 years at Deloitte, my friend Deepa got sick. 
And ultimately, she had to leave her job. She started looking at what was going on for her and also a lot of the women that she saw around her. So along with Deepa, many women of color who've had corporate careers that were cut short seem to be coming out of the workforce in droves. Thousands of women have faced unsustainable practices at companies and the employers have lost tremendous leadership and talent. Deepa's unfortunate experience was the catalyst for her to become an author, and she conducted countless hours of research, which inspired the early stages and basis for her book, The First, The Few, The Many. This book uncovered the extraordinary cost in terms of health and lost economic opportunity, which can be traced back to hostile work environments where women, in particular women of color, must absorb microaggressions over and over. The cumulative effect is a stunning over 80% get sick, and it can be traced to the work environment. I hope that as you hear this, you feel like I do, which is just that your heart hurts thinking about the fact that it's just been too hard for women. And I think that after a career already, I wanted to do things differently. I'd worked running women's organizations for a long time. And I saw the good and I saw the bad. And I spent 20 years trying to refine and define a way of being that's better in the world. And of course, it starts with me. I mean, I haven't always been my best self. I grew up in the culture like all of us, a culture that tears down women and has created a number of other elements that just aren't good for us. So when I founded How Women Lead, I brought together women I admire respect and really idealize is the leaders we want to see. I invited all of them to come together and really come together to make the world a better place and to make it more equitable. For years before the launch of this organization, I had worked on equity and economic access for women. I met influential women along the way and I invited them. I invited them to come to dinner and to talk about topics and issues of women's leadership and found that everyone showed up and leaned in so heavily. Every single person commented on the magical safe space that they found in this community. I was creating something that inspired. And a friend of mine, Jean Ann Nichols, challenged me. And she said, you need to quantify this and document this magic so it repeats and grows. And this challenge turned into a really beautiful thing. Frankly, the most beautiful thing I've ever been a part of. I operate How Women Lead in our family of organizations, and it's with a countercultural framework. So just to be clear, I grew up in a negative culture, which I mentioned earlier, and I've participated. I've done those things. I've been impacted by them. I've colluded with a culture that hurts women. I've participated when people tore down women who were very visible. So I'm on a journey to be better, and I have some unique things about my life that actually give me an interesting perspective. I've never worked for a man. I can count on one hand how many men I've actually worked with. 35 years of my career working for and with women has taught me a lot. It actually means I see how women who come to be part of my world, I see how they change their behavior in certain environments. It's really interesting. I see how powerful women leaders have had to build certain skills to survive and thrive in these male-dominated and male-designed environments. I never built those skills and... Because of that, I actually get to see some things super clearly that other people might not see. I see how powerful women defer to more junior men. 
They listen to their ideas sometimes as if they're gospel. I've seen how they coddle them, give them extra airtime, and don't challenge them like they do other women, and so many other things. I'm talking about people who are the most influential women in the world. I know them, I work with them, and I see it. What I'm talking about today is not really about women in reference to the work environment or to men, but actually I want us to think about how we're actually with each other. I became a leader very early in my career. I was 26 when I began to build and lead cultures. I explored what feminist leadership looks like. And to be honest, some of it was bizarre and broken. Uh, when I became the CEO of a women's organization, there was a section on the website for hiring that said it was a feminist organization and it was non-hierarchical. But that wasn't true. Everyone had a boss, including me as a CEO. And for better, or for worse, that's the structure that we knew how to all function in. And the hypocrisy of saying that was what was so jarring to me. I can't stand hypocrisy and respect is paramount for me. So I started to interrogate what I inherited and I watched other leaders and I practiced over a career for almost 30 years leading women's organizations. And I've created a cultural framework that's one of the best ways. By the way, if you're creating an organization, creating some version of this credo and reinforcing it all the time is a great way to build a strong culture and sense of belonging and community and movement building. So I believe in creating a clear cultural framework and you just repeat it and reinforce it. I'm nowhere perfect, but I have to tell you, this has been pretty magical in my organization. So we created a credo that's countercultural. It invites us to be the opposite of the negative cultural behaviors that hurt women, where we hurt each other and hold each other back. This is the first generation of women with 30 years of work experience. We've got power and influence in a scale we've never seen before. It is a huge opportunity for all of us. And we have a responsibility as a result. We need to step up and change the culture to meet the times. And to make it a better environment for my daughter and all of the deepas that are coming up in the world, whose contribution can be extraordinary, as long as we don't force her into the box designed by and for white men, where she gets sick and broken. How we think about European white men in our country today, because previously, you know, there were, there've been hierarchies always, Italian men and a whole bunch of other, what we now consider mainstream white men. Italian people, for example, used to be denigrated, but today, We've created structures at work and they work for a long time for men. But what we're seeing is now that women are 50% of the workforce, it doesn't work for everybody. It's certainly not working for women. Now, to be clear, all men do not thrive in this culture, but that's a podcast for another day. My husband and my sweet son, they just don't fit those models and they're magnificent men and it hasn't been great for them either. That said, today, I want us to talk about how we think about transforming how we work and our culture because we have a different population of people working. When I was growing up, very few women worked. Today, we literally have been bouncing around 50% of the workforce. In fact, a couple of years ago, women were working at a higher rate than men. And it's certainly not uncommon anymore for a woman to make more than a man in a partnership. But culturally, and it certainly continues to create a strain. It makes it hard for those relationships to be effective. And if we want thriving companies and an economy that works for all of us and grows, we've got to evolve. I'm not talking about blaming. I'm just talking about evolution. So let's be honest about what we think about women leaders. 
Be honest with yourself. Have you ever participated in criticizing Hillary Clinton or Kamala Harris or Nancy Pelosi? Those are the people I see in the media that get beaten up the most. We've been actively wrestling with what we want to see from women leaders for about 40 years. Should she be virginal, intellectual, mothering? Should she have honest talk? Should she be have a get-it-done attitude? Does it help that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is beautiful? We've all seen that picture of her in her white suit being ogled by all of the men. I remember in the 90s, the constant conversations about, can we be feminine at work? Because previously women had to act like men. They wore suits like men. We wore those pencil ties and those big shoulder pads. What does a woman leader look like? What does she do and how does she communicate? So this might not be a popular thing to say, but I think in the United States, for sure, women's leadership in many ways is an oxymoron culturally. There isn't a model that we can all follow. We can try and act like men, but it doesn't work well for a very long time. And like Trisha Tim's new book about not hiding who you are, we actually need to find a whole bunch of different frameworks for women's leadership. So if I'm soft-spoken, I can lead. If I'm a masculine presenting person, I can lead. And if I'm a beautiful woman, I can lead. And also if I'm not. Stanford has a great research center called the Clayman Research Center. They wrote a great article about the likability penalty for women. We don't really like women, full stop. You can sometimes walk on a tightrope. It doesn't last very long. We fall off. You've heard me say it before. My goal is for you to run the world. And let me tell you why. It's not just because I think you're fabulous badass and you know that I do. It is actually protective for all of us. When you have diversity on a board, for example, product recalls happen three times faster. Companies perform better. It's better for people. It's better for profits. And it's better for the planet. We need you to join a corporate board. And we need you to know when to advocate for it in your day job. October 16th through the 20th, How Women Lead is hosting our extremely successful fourth annual Get On Board Week. This week is full of virtual programming, content rich, but also connecting, connecting, connecting. And we know 85% of all board searches, they're word of mouth and through connections. We wanna connect you with private equity firms that are seeking board members. We wanna connect you with other women board members who've already done it, who are being tagged and can't take all the board seats that are coming their way. We will have board opportunities that we will share with you. Really, truly, this is our way to connect and propel you. This is one week. But what happens is people connect with people on LinkedIn or they create mastermind groups that they support each other all year long. I want you to step up and be part of the solution. My daughter needs you on the board. But I also want to inspire you to think about all the women around you where you can be the person who inspires her and says, I see you on a board. I think you should be on a board check it out. Come and explore. Invite 10 friends. Tell them that you believe in them. It's the greatest gift you can give. Somebody did it for you. And I want to encourage you to do it for another woman. I look forward to seeing you at Get On Board Week so we can get thousands of women on boards this year 
our focus beyond the private boards that we've always focused on, we're adding the private board space. It's time. Thanks for your partnership. Send the letter back down and help another woman get into action. So how do we pivot? How do we change this? How do we create an environment where women can be leaders in all kinds of ways and not be constantly criticized? Because it's impossible to meet this. Well, it's it's impossible to define and it's impossible to meet this standard we all think we're supposed to be meeting. How do we pivot and how do we change? So we, in our credo, which has four things that we ask people to commit to, Our number one thing in our credo is to be fierce advocates for each other, even if she's not perfect, to be fiercely supportive of other women around us. So what does that look like in a real action? Well, one, in our organization, because we've asked people to meet the standard, this credo of being fierce advocates for each other, people show up and they feel safe especially women of color, they feel like it's a safe environment and that white women are going to be decent to them. And that sounds pretty terrible to think about, but that's what women have told me. So we're asking women to be kind and to literally make extra effort to not criticize, to be advocates and support each other, positive support. So to me, that means extending yourself to give somebody positive feedback 85% of us in senior leadership roles experience imposter syndrome. So when other women have our back and they tell us you're doing great, you're in the right place, I want to support and help you, it actually becomes a beautiful reinforcing mechanism for all of us and makes you want to do more of it. So my first request of all of you is to pay attention, just to be honest with yourself, be kind to yourself on this journey to be better. The culture taught us in a way to not be good for each other, to bash other women. So when you start noticing and start pivoting your thinking when that creeps in, that's my request of you. And then to extend yourself to be fierce advocates. So the opposite of tearing somebody down is to build them up. We all know you need to hear five or six positive things before you can handle hearing a negative thing without really beating yourself up too much. Make sure you do those six positive reinforcing messages. Be part of that solution for people. So if all of us make the Girl Scouts pledge to be fierce advocates for each other, we will all feel more confident, more powerful. We'll take risks. We'll step up into leadership in different ways. And that is the beautiful world that I want to live in and I want for my daughter. So I hope all of you will think about ways that you can step in and be fierce advocates for other women. This is our, we considered our second part of the credo, which is to make introductions to say yes to actively supporting other women. We've all heard it. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Deals get made on the golf course. Your network is your net worth. So I want you to think about when you consider how deals are done and power is consolidated, What do you think about? Most of us think about men. Men have perfected this and it's fantastic. They get together and they make deals on the golf course and they 
actively move fast and support each other. Sometimes it doesn't end up being so great because people sort of do the group think thing. But in general, watching the power of men coming together and saying, I'll make this investment if you do, for example, is really extraordinarily valuable to make things happen. 85% of board seats are secured through word of mouth, through networks, not through search firms. And when you think about venture capital, how deal-making happens, what happens is one VC basically calls up a couple others and says, I'll invest if you do. Let's get behind this. And if we as women want to have more power and influence, we have got to activate our networks together and for each other. So this is what I know. When I ask the women that I know, the women in my network, who makes the most connections and introductions for you? What the women tell me largely is men are making more introductions for them. And I think that's because our culture sets it up so that women actually are discouraged from doing so. So think about this. Do you remember that moment when you got your hand slapped for making an introduction? I do. Do you remember when somebody warned you to be careful about making introductions? I do. My natural inclination is actually to make connections so everybody wins. I really, truly believe it. And I've watched it over and over since I was a kid. But I know that I started filtering myself because of the culture. I was trying to fit in with what I felt like I was hearing was the cultural frame. Ladies, we need to do deal making. We need to network and make introductions. We need the women around us to get connected to be successful. That's how we're going to raise our own boats. So this is what I want you to deeply consider for you. What would you do? If you knew you could get to the people who would say yes and make a difference for you, if you could get to that venture capitalist, if you could get to the nominations and governance chair of that board that you're interested in going on, if you could get to that CHRO or leader CEO in that company that you would like to join, what difference would that make for you? How much more would you progress? You know, it's so interesting. Throughout my life, I've been part of a lot of women's organizations, associations, networks of women. And more often than not, people say, this is a pitch-free zone. And I always felt uncomfortable or shame or sometimes even like, well, why am I here then? Because we have got to be connecting each other. We have got to start pitching all day long and make it the cultural norm for women. I can tell you there are so many people who I can call on today because I helped them or someone that they know, and they know that I, I'm the real deal. So I want to share two quick stories with you of some things that I was able to make happen because I think about actively making connections all the time. I don't have a roadblock in my brain. My guess is some of you literally have a block up because you've gotten it trained out of you. So I went to the, a film festival. And when I was at the film festival, I saw this film called Time for Ilhan about Ilhan Omar's journey in getting elected to office. And it was magnificent. And I went up to this filmmaker afterwards and I said, is there anything I can do to help you? What do you need? We were doing Q&A actually. And she answered and said, you know what? 
I need $100,000 so I can get this into all the schools because young women and kids need to know about this journey. And so it planted a seed. And a friend of mine had just said to me, she's very involved with politics. She said, you know, I'm, I'm an executive producer on a film. So I called her up and you know what she did? She invested $100,000. This happened overnight. I made one phone call. Everybody won. That woman was thrilled to be the executive producer of that film. And the filmmaker was just over the moon because she wanted more than this to just be a film that people watched once. She wanted it to be in the schools. She wanted to get it out in the community. So that's a gigantic win. And that filmmaker, you know, I can call on her anytime. She's always going to think about me because I solved that big problem for her. And the truth is it cost me nothing but just a little thoughtfulness and a phone call. I'm giving you these examples. I can't do this every day. Believe me. I happened to know something about what was going on for some people for whom if I connected them, there could be a great win. And I want you to really think about paying attention when people tell you what they're interested in achieving or being involved in and their passions and connect people. It is what we need and it changes the world. So my friends, say yes to making introductions, say yes to helping other women, and actively go out of your way to make our culture better where women get support and pitch, 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 pitch. Every time I see you, that's what I want to see happening. We invite you to make a commitment to reinforce her voice when she speaks up. In our culture, women's voices are not heard. It is so insidious. It is literally a cultural thing. Think back from the time you were young. What are the moments when you spoke and you're like, wait, nobody's listening. And we all know this because we've heard people talk about in the White House, when Obama was president, the women literally had a pact. They're like, we always have to have two of us in a room. And when one person speaks up and people don't hear her idea, the other person needs to chime in and say, hey, remember what Jill said? I think that's great. Or do it immediately. We have all kinds of hacks that we need to implement, but there's just nothing more insidious that can impact your confidence and your career than to be ignored. And I want you to understand this is cultural. I want to validate your experience of this because it is absolutely happening. It's critical and it hurts you. All right, let me give you an example. Harvard Business School saw there was a problem because women came into the Harvard Business School, the applicants and the people who started the program, the women were actually further ahead in their careers and they were more successful than the men. But by the time they graduated from business school, the men got more awards and more of the better jobs. And basically it gave them a much bigger boost or lift for their careers. So Harvard's like, well, we got to figure out why. So first the professors are like, well, the women aren't speaking up in class. They're not actually participating. They, they were looking at all the grades and all the reasons why. And then they decided they're going to put a stenographer in class to make sure they could document this. You know what happened? They literally found that the professors did not count, did not hear, did not validate when women were raising their hand and speaking up. They didn't hear it, literally. And they had to come up with new hacks for the professors to actually undo their bias, our cultural bias, that we can't hear women. 
I do these retreats with women at How Women Lead. We'll do a 10 to 20 person retreat. They're magical. And literally one recently, it basically came out that every single woman there had some kind of impact and memory that's still with them today that impacted them so much that at 55 years old, it was still impacting them that when they were a little girl, they would raise their hand in class. And of course, everybody I know, all the women in How Women Lead are super precocious, smart, etc. And you, I know you remember this. It must have happened to you too, because you're one of us, that you raised your hand and they were ignoring you because you had the answer too often. You were bossy. You knew too much, whatever. But think about the impact on you. You don't understand that really when you're little. It had a huge impact on all of us. So it started when we were little to be seen and not heard, you know, that you should manage your voice and not take up so much space. It's literally a message we've gotten our entire lives. They could literally document it at Harvard Business School. And once they corrected for it at Harvard Business School, the women actually won just as many or more of those big prizes and the career boosts than the men. So what are we going to do? What do you do about it? Because the impact is absolutely clear. So first and foremost, it's an internal job. You need to make sure that you feel worth it, that you are taking up space. But then we all need to enlist other people like they did in the Obama administration, enlist other women to reinforce your voice. You can do it in a meeting. And you just because if you know it's going to happen culturally, then you can work around it and it's not so personal, right? You can say culturally, we know this is going to happen. So therefore, let's do a workaround. So if you're going to go into a meeting, if you are rolling something out, I have a bunch of friends who are writing books. You need to actively plan for extra effort, support, and promotions from the people around you, whether it's hiring someone or getting 20 friends together and say, hey, my book's about to go public. I need you all to go onto Amazon and go ahead and write a comment. You need to actively ask people to reinforce your voice. If you write an article and you want it to get recognition, you need to make extra special efforts to get support. And then on the flip side, each one of us needs to make a commitment every day. Go on LinkedIn, go onto some other platform. We have got to reinforce the voice of other women because they're not being heard. Culturally, we literally reject hearing women's voices. So to me, there is nothing more important than making sure your thought leadership gets out there. If your thought leadership isn't out there, if you're not connected and you're not seen for that, you're not going to get the word opportunities. You're not going to get the boost in your career. So all of us need to make an extra special commitment to reinforce her voice when she speaks up and isn't heard. I'm making a commitment to only put women. So I'm going to tell you this. And if you're part of an association or another organization, I will one I always say to everyone, never do any kind of a speaking engagement if they're not women and people of color represented. I ask men to make a commitment to that. And I ask and encourage women to literally say, hey, association that I'm part of the general councils or whatever, you should not have any programs that don't have women on a panel. Women have to be seen. Here is another example of this. In the media, women are not quoted for especially business and science and technology related commentary. So if you look at articles in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, the PR Council of America documented 
how often women were quoted and women were like 24% of the time. Men were 75% of the time. So we have to make concerted efforts to demand accountability and to be heard. And when you speak to those reporters, one, speak to them, make sure you are stepping forward and standing up and getting counted and then ask them to make an extra commitment to quote women. And literally just asking the question can make a huge difference. Hey, how often are you quoting women in your articles where you're talking about different business issues? Because I think leaving the voice behind is not good journalism, frankly. So it's documented, it's clear, we're not being heard, and it's hurting us. And collectively, we can do some things to make it better when we all stand by each other. So at How Women Lead, in my organization, we put women on stage, we acknowledge and recognize women, we put women's faces and their thought leadership forward in every single thing that we do. That is literally the core of what this organization's about. And then we actually offer you support for it. Because the culture has beaten it out of us, you actually need to invest in your skills and your confidence and your practice. Men at the similar stages in their careers are going to have had a lot more opportunities than us because women's voices are not being heard. We're not invited to be counted. And so we created a visibility program at How I'm Lead that is literally designed with an executive coach supporting you through it so that you can work on the internal impact of a lifetime of seeing that you weren't being counted or heard and your voice is not, doesn't matter, or it's not the right voice, right? Somehow all these messages create a story in our minds we have to undo when we start to push the envelope to get heard. And I think so many of us, you know, myself included, it felt like it was selfish to have me be front and center and not other people. It feels like, you know, I should be the behind the scenes person. And all of that, frankly, were the messages beaten into me through a lifetime of being a precocious young girl, you know, smart young woman in a culture that doesn't support that. The culture is not set up well for us yet. And that's our work is we need to change the culture. And so you need to do the courageous work for our daughters of stepping forward and reinforcing the voice of the other women around you and to taking up space and being able to claim your own space. So what are you going to do today to reinforce the voice of other women? How can you do it virtually? How can you anytime you are doing any program, anything where you promote anyone's voice, how can you make sure that women are counted, whether it's at work, in an association, or a board that you're a part of? How are you going to reinforce her voice and make sure that you've created structures where she can be heard? If you don't create a structure that shifts things, shift doesn't happen and it isn't, it isn't terribly sticky. So how can you create structural changes in how the work is done so that everybody's voice gets heard? All right, my friends. Reinforce her voice, make a plan, create structures, and you yourself step out there and be counted. Today, we're talking about the How Women Lead Credo number four, to be unabashedly visible. So if you've been following along with our previous episodes, you know that we have four elements to our credo that we ask everyone to commit to when they join How Women Lead. And the first three revolve around 
nurturing, supporting, and advocating for each other. Our role in supporting other women. So to be fierce advocates for each other. Two, to say yes to helping one another. And three, reinforce her voice. But credo number four, for a lot of us, is a little harder. It's about you, your visibility, your presence, your unapologetic existence in this world. And let me tell you, this is the one that makes most of us pause and question, often falter, because it is about our personal behavior, their shame associated. Our voices has been stymied for so long, finding your voice, finding the message, and then being able to deliver that message in a way that is authentic to you, that is powerful, is not something that most of us have practiced. It's something that we need to pay attention to if we are going to stand in our power, in our influence. And as I often say to people, Think about why this is important. And I want to remind you that your daughter, my daughter, young women are watching you and they're taking their cues about their power and influence from you. We watched other women who spoke very softly, who didn't physically take up much space when we were growing up, but it's a new day. And on behalf of my daughter, I need you to step into your power and your influence. And I really want you to think about what that journey might look like for you. The first step is you got to think about what are the messages you've heard that you've allowed to get inside your brain that aren't really serving you. What is happening for you inside? And I would write it down. Pause this recording for a second and just take a minute to breathe and think back. This is important work. Then I want you to think about all the things that you want to accomplish in life, your mission. What change do you want to see in the world? You know, what are you working on at work or in your personal life? And what would it be like if your voice could really powerfully advocate for those things that are important to you? What would the result be? I'd like to actually, if it's okay, share my journey with you because through my journey, I've really come to realize how absolutely critical this is. So I started my career pretty quickly, became the COO of an organization in my 20s and early 30s. And I have a strong voice. I actually grew up with the message to be quiet, to not be so bossy, to not take up so much space. I'm five seven. My sisters are like, five feet and five, three, five, four. I always felt like I was too big, too loud, too energetic. So to me, there was a lot of shame associated with my voice being heard. And so a lot of what I was doing was trying to buy into this narrative. I'm the behind the scenes person. I'm really happy to put somebody else on stage and help them with their public speaking. And I could run a spreadsheet like nobody's business. But if I had to speak on stage, that was a whole other thing. So when I was being recruited to be the CEO of an organization and I went through the interview process, I literally said to them that I could do the job with my eyes closed as I'd done it. 
I'd already done the job, all the different elements, the finance, the marketing, the fundraising, all the different pieces. But I shared with them the one thing I couldn't do was public speaking. And if you know me at all today, you know, well, they're not, I've come a long way. I now do a lot of that. But this was something I had to really work through and unlearn a lot of those messages. And I had a lot of discomfort and frankly, had to work with an executive coach to help me through it. So what I want to suggest to you is really Think about how you're going to unpack this and the power of your voice. Who or what is it that's going to make you move beyond your comfort zone to get into standing in your power and in really being unabashedly visible? So what happened for me was I, a couple of weeks after I got that first CEO job, I had to stand in front of 900 people on stage right behind our Barbara Ehrenreich, who is a very famous author and did speaking for a living. Of course, I was having a panic attack and felt like I could, whatever, felt like I had like some kind of big bowl on my head and it was reverberating every word that I said. I was so distracted because I could hear it back. It was one of those bizarre moments in life, right? And my team said, you're going to need to figure this out. And it just so happened somebody presented themselves in my life who was a speech coach. And she invited me because I was running a nonprofit. I believe it was for free, but she really coached me on how to do public speaking. And I even worked with this organization called Stand and Deliver. I think I've gone to five or six of their trainings because to me, what I felt like is there was a formula then I could intellectualize it. I could follow the method that they used, but truly even till this day, when you're doing practice sessions with Stan and Deliver, I get uncomfortable. I still feel discomfort with the public speaking, especially if I'm being evaluated. But to me, that's been absolutely essential. So I do a lot of public speaking. I'm generally pretty good at it. I try to follow the formula every time I get a little bit nervous. But this is what I can tell you. It started with public speaking, but there's a lot of other pieces to this. But this has been one of the most critical ways that I have been able to create change and disrupt the antiquated systems that we all are trying to develop and really create a better world for our daughters and granddaughters and the young women that we want to have an easier pathway. So I'll just remind you, it's going to be really hard if this is a solitary journey for you. I want to encourage you to think about either joining a program, like taking a class like I did. We have something at How Women Lead called Visible Impact that walks you through all the elements that you need. But at the very least, get together with a couple friends who might want to be on a journey like this and give yourself a three months or six months where you can say, we're all going to support each other in becoming more visible. And I just think that when you think about you and the beautiful power that's inside of you, we need that example for all the women around us to see. And what does it do for other women? It breaks stereotypes and glass ceilings. It reshapes their narrative of what women can achieve. I just want you to think about like maybe the first time you saw a woman who was taking up space that really inspired you. To me, I think back like the first time I heard Hillary Clinton, that was pretty amazing. She was really making big change on a global stage and it was all about women's rights. So what is your voice? What is that story that you want to tell and what you want to move forward? So let me tell you how this worked for me. First, I worked on the public speaking, but then my team, we were saying, oh, we need to get more press for our organization. And we hired a PR firm. They said, well, you aren't putting out thought leadership. You aren't really active on Twitter and you need a bigger following. And so they gave me the formula and they really supported me to do this for 
how women lead our organization. So they said, I should start doing this podcast to put other women's voices forward and also to craft a body of work and a point of view. It wasn't comfortable for me the first time we did this. And it's really, I still have discomfort when I do one of these solo podcasts. It's certainly a lot easier to interview somebody else and put their voice forward. But my team encouraged me to do it. They've written scripts for me and really pushed me beyond what I would have been comfortable with previously. So I want to say, get help, get support and somebody who's going to help push you beyond those barriers you've created for yourself. Because when it's all said and done, like, this is not that hard. It really isn't. It's my own stuff. And I just need to move beyond it. So the next thing they said is, we think you should write for Forbes. And I thought, my God, well, I don't know. Do I have anything to say? Would anyone even want to listen to what I have to say? And I don't know how much I can get really nerdy. So like, I don't know how much nerdiness and content they need versus being fun and kind of creating sort of a a voice that has a, a certain kind of energy to it. And I'm still in a journey with all of that. So what are the objections that come up for you? If I said to you right now, will you write an article for Forbes for me tomorrow? If I said to you, I would like to invite you to speak on my podcast, what are the stories that come forward for you and how can we work through moving beyond those? And then how can you take a proactive stance, create a structure for yourself so you can get these kinds of assets and actions that will get your voice out there? Of course, you also have some basics, getting your LinkedIn right, but think about what's your goal and Is it that you want to be quoted? Is it that you want to be on CNN or Rachel Maddow? What are the wins and what is the result of that visibility for you? And I want to invite you to think again about the visible impact program we have at How Women Lead, if that could be helpful to you. But again, just on behalf of my daughter and all the young women who are watching you, whether it is you standing up in a meeting and taking up space or publicly in being visible. I want to encourage you to do this for yourself, but also for the other women around you and to really stand up and be unabashedly visible. I can't wait to hear from you and to see your light shining. And I'll remind you of the Marianne Williamson poem that we all know so well. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of the universe, of the goddess. You playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest all of the glory and beauty that you are that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, as you let your light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I want you to just lean into that. I want to invite you to think about how important it is that your voice gives others permission, liberates other people. Lean into your voice this year. I can't wait to see all of the ripple effect of the beautiful light that you are. Have a wonderful day. 
And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.